Hey there, and welcome to the New Freedom Podcast. I am Dakota, your host, and I thank you for joining in with us today. If you would like to learn more about us and our continual mission to give grace and share hope, you can find us online at newfc.org, Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Today, Pastor Joe concludes his series, Ripple Effect. He is going to be talking about how our habits have a way of defining who we are and the progress we can make. If we have profitable habits that align with God's will, we will prosper on the road He has called us to. If we have bad habits, it can leave us stuck. In this final message of the series, the struggle of life habits and disciplines are discussed. Let us join in now with Pastor Joe. This morning, I want to conclude our series on Ripple Effect. If you uh, didn't get the first couple of parts, those are online at our website. You can log in and find those as we've built each week on a successive thought, word, or deed. And today, we're going to talk about our habits. So often, we look at people and we measure ourselves against what they have versus what we have. And we sometimes wonder, what is it? that someone else has done, what are the big things which they have done to create all that they have in their life? While we ask that question, many times we fail to realize that it is just a small act here and there that creates a ripple that starts to grow in magnitude and grow in influence. And it may have been something long ago, very small, that they had set out to do, say, or think that is now affecting their entire world. And so it is the same with us. The ripple of your life is what we want to focus on for the next few moments. I want to talk about the power of habit, or we might say it like this, the power of discipline in our lives. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ means you are a disciplined one for him. We have spiritual disciplines that we employ, but A disciple of Christ actually is someone who is devoted to him and brings their will in submission to his will. It mimics the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden saying, I have some ideas and some desires and some things I would like. Nevertheless, not as I will, but Father, your will be done. So I want to ask you a question this morning as we begin. Are you a disciplined person? or generally undisciplined person. We all are disciplined in different ways. If you, without raising your hand, would have said in your heart, I'm generally an undisciplined person. I I really don't uh, think of myself as having the disciplines of a Christ follower, the disciplines of maybe a, a devotional life, a regular time of worship with the Lord, a witnessing and praying uh, involvement in my life. You may think of those as being disciplines, and you may say, eh, I'm not a disciplined person. But the fact is, all of us are really very disciplined people. And every discipline that we employ in our lives creates the momentum to take us to the next phase of our life, to take us to the next place. We are all very disciplined. It just may be that we are not disciplined in the things that are creating the results that we want. You see, every single morning, many people are disciplined to hit the snooze button on the alarm clock. It is a discipline that they create, and they just snooze it. You know you have to get up at 6.30, but you set it for 5.45 so you can snooze three times at 15 minutes each. 
And it doesn't really help your sleep at all, but you feel like you had a win. You're very disciplined to do that. Many people are disciplined to uh, do things throughout the day to steal away some time. Maybe it's playing a video game. It's searching the news websites. It's searching uh, for interests that you like. It may be shopping on Cyber Monday. We're very disciplined to do certain things. I would say, looking at the audience this morning, that most of us are very disciplined to never miss a meal. We all look like we eat pretty good. We have disciplines that are built into our lives. What is a discipline? Discipline is simply choosing between what we want now and what we want most. That is a discipline. What we want now and what we want most. See, you are successful at something in life, meaning you have accumulated a lot of momentum in an area. It just may not be the area that's causing the success that you want. You may be creating momentum in the form of Uh, negativity or uh, rejection. You wonder why it is that, that it seems like every time you get close to someone, every time you open up yourself, that there is a brokenness that happens in that relationship. It is a momentum from something else that has happened maybe long ago, maybe near, but it is a ripple of your life. It is an effect of something that happened earlier in your life or earlier in that relationship. So here's what I want to say. If you change a habit in any area of your life, then you will change the result of the momentum that's being created by that discipline. So I'll ask you here in a few moments about what discipline do you need to change in your life. The Apostle Paul is a great example of this discipline. You see, Paul was very frustrated As he has experienced this newfound freedom in Christ, he had a full understanding of what it meant to be radically changed by the power of God. So much so that he was knocked off of his horse and he was blinded for three days. Paul had a face-to-face, one-on-one encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. There was such a bright light shining that he wasn't able to look directly upon him, but he recognized and he knew that God had called him for a great mission. And so having that great calling in his life, the apostle went out to uh, change the habits from persecuting Christians to encouraging Christians. And yet when we get to Romans chapter 7, we see this great tug of war that Paul writes about. You see, he's frustrated with the point that in his own body, in his own flesh, he is waging a warfare that he finds himself oftentimes losing the battle. You see, Paul, just like us, was not necessarily fighting against other people. It wasn't those on the outside. It wasn't City Hall. It wasn't his detractors that were really his problem. Paul's big problem was inside him because he recognized the enemy was in here and that there was some war that was being waged. And one day he would be good. One day he would be successful. And the next day, all of a sudden, he would blow it. He would terribly and miserably fail. And he had this tussle all the time, back and forth. If I could just revisit a couple week ago message, something that, that we talked about was, I asked the question, who's in charge? And I, ha- I held some keys up because those who have keys have authority. And Jesus has given us the keys of the kingdom. And so let me ask the question again, who's in charge in here? 
Because the minefield is in your mind. The battlefield is between your ears. There is a war that is raging between what you want to do versus what God is calling you to do. And every single one of us in this room wrestle the same types of battles. We wrestle the same types of fears and the same types of drawing us away from God. That is our natural inclination is that our flesh is being drawn away from God all the time. You wonder, how is that? Well, the enemy of our soul, Satan, only has but three tools in his tool bag to use. And he knows that this works so well throughout the ages that he continues to employ the same tactics again and again and again, just repackaged and rebranded and looking a little bit different. It is this. It is the lust of the flesh, what this body wants, the lust of the eyes, what you see and desire, and the pride of life. If he can't trip you up with one, if you find yourself successful in momentum over one, then he will go around the back door to come in and tempt you with another. And Paul says, while I was good for a little while, while I disciplined myself, by nature, I could not stay disciplined on my own. The habits that I wanted to create, I could not carry them out very long because We are, spiritually speaking, very undisciplined people. And in Romans 7, 22, here's what he says. He concludes this frustration with this great term. He says, for I delight in the law of God according to what? The inward man. He's talking about what the old Hebrews would call his heart. And we illustrated that it's not the, the vital organ pumping blood throughout your body. It is the inner you, your mind And your heart is the inner self. The Hebrews knew that there was something more to life than just this flesh and blood that we see, but there was a spirit in man. There was something that was powerful inside of them. And he says this, he says, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, he's talking about in his body, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my body, my members. He makes this great confession in verse 24. Now, if you ever just want to see one of your heroes be transparent and level the playing field, here it is. This is the apostle. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. Paul is not pointing fingers at somebody else. He's not casting off excuses for why that he's a certain way. He just gets right down to the brass tacks and says, you know what? I am the biggest problem with me. Every decision that I have made, good or bad, guess what the common denominator is? Me. Every poor choice that has ever been made in my life, I am near to that choice. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Think about the question. Who would deliver me from this body of death. I like that Paul said who and not what, because he's going to introduce to us that the answer to the problem is not a principle, but a person. The answer to my problem and to your problem is not another counseling session. It's not reading another self-help book. It's not establishing a time of prayer where you pray one hour every day or you get on your knees and you say, God, I've checked the list and I've done this spiritual duty. It's not about you doing enough things to say that you're now approved in God's sight. But the answer to the problem is not a principle. It's a person. He says in verse 25, 
I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He didn't say Jesus Christ, my Savior. The Savior part was already established. He said, my Lord. So then, with the mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. He gives to us, encapsulated here, this great deliverance from all of our natural inclination to disciplines. Let me say it like this. You can be a good little girl for a while on your own. You can be a rule-keeping Johnny on your own for a season. But the time will come when you get weak, when you get tired, when you get aggravated, when your temper flares, and you just out of the blue allow your flesh to jump out and you say something you didn't want to say, you do something you wish you hadn't done, you have remorse in your heart afterwards, and you go and you beat yourself up over something that you did because you had been so good for so long, and I just blew it. And Paul says, I can relate, because I tried very hard to keep the rules of God on my own myself, only to realize that I come up short every single time. I like what the Chinese author Watchman Nee said, he said that the blood of Jesus purchased our salvation, but it is the cross of Jesus Christ that secures our sanctification. You see, we come to him without one plea, knowing that Jesus' blood was shed for me, and only one drop of that blood was enough to remit my sin once and forevermore. But after I stand from that place of prayer, I have to walk out by faith. Every single day, I have to take up my cross and I have to follow him. Jesus said it like this, if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. This is a lifelong process. It's not just coming to the altar one time, kneeling down, saying a prayer, getting up and saying, okay, it's all done. No. The the cost of your sin was taken care of by the blood, but the cross of Jesus Christ is going to have to be applied to your flesh every single day. There is no discipline that you can put yourself under. There is no type of effort and labor that you can do. It is only by his spirit. So we don't need to be self-empowered people. We need to be spirit-empowered people. Amen. We need to walk by his spirit. And the Holy Spirit will help you choose between what you want most and what you want right now. You see, I take this very seriously because we are living to stand in the presence of God one day. And we want to bring him glory in everything we do and say. We want to make his name great and make his name known. But if we think for one moment that by our effort, by our labor, by our contribution, that we can add anything to his cross, to his sacrifice, to his enabling within us, then we have made a major mistake. And the ripple effect of us trying to do it on our own will create things like this, shame, frustration, guilt, 
regret, remorse, pain, loss. And ultimately, when you do things your way, the ripple of that choice is death. For there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that is death. So it is God's spirit that helps us to overcome the power of sin and to create the disciplines that only God himself can instill in our lives. It is saying no to a temptation. I am not going to spend that money because I want to get out of debt. I am deleting that app from my phone because I am going to keep my eyes pure. I am not going to fall into the trap of pornography, which will steal the joy of my heart, which will steal the joy of my salvation, which will contaminate all of my relationships and ultimately will steal the very intimacy for which I long for and is normal in my life. I am taking a stand against those things. This is important because we're all going to give account for what we have done. And if we stand there in our own righteousness, then we're going to come up short. But if we stand there empowered by his spirit, then we're going to be able to say, it's not I, but Christ in me, the hope of glory. There are some things we have to say no to, church, in order to say yes to the good things and the God things in our life. Now, I know that some of you are sitting out there right now, and the way that we have done church over the last several hundred years is that we get one person who is the paid professional, so-called, to stand up here and talk to all of the participants, and we do church in rows. I understand that. And someone is probably thinking, well, I'm glad you're so excited about that, but after all, you're a pastor, you get paid to do this, of course you have spiritual disciplines, can I tell you that the power of sin draws onto my heart just as real as anyone else in this room? That there are days when I get so busy and wrapped up with the tasks of the day that I don't read my Bible that day? So if you feel guilty for not reading your Bible, just go tell your, your coworker, hey, my preacher said he don't read the Bible every day either. But it's okay because his word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against him. See, it's not a work of the flesh. It's not about checking a box. I used to do that. I, I've, I've read through the entire Bible multiple times. However, I noticed that I was doing it out of a written ordinance of a spirit of fear, of I have to get this done. And I would read three chapters, because if you read three chapters a day and throw in a fourth every other day, then you're going to read the entire Bible in one year. I knew the formula, I knew the concept, and I would get through with three chapters, and I wouldn't even remember one thing that I read. But then there's been some other times where I've had a busy day, I've had a busy time, and the only thing I have really to do is I can sit down and I can read a devotional with one Bible verse, and that one verse resonates in my heart, and I chew on it, and I chew on it, and I chew on it, and I swallow it, and I start to digest that word in my spirit, and then later on, I want to rehearse it, and I want to chew on it, and it's God's living word. It's the bread of life that's coming alive inside of me, and yes, the power of sin is as real for me as it is for anybody. Doesn't matter what you do for a living, doesn't matter your profession. Temptation knocks on the door of every human being. And it's not a sin to be tempted. 
It's what you do with that temptation. I'll share one with you of mine. Honest confession, just us in here, right? Okay, just us. I have a desire many times to sit down in my recliner and to eat popcorn. But I don't just eat any popcorn. I go after that which is healthy because it says smart food popcorn on it. So if it says smart, it's got to be good for you, right? Anybody ever seen a smart car? I've never ridden in a smart car because they don't look real smart to me. Especially if you come up against one of these full-size trucks that is barreling down the road. Doesn't look very smart. But I have a bent and inclination towards not just eating a little bowl of that smart food popcorn because I rationalize. And I say, well, if one bowl is smart, then two have to be more smart. And why, after all, since you've opened the bag, do you want to put it back in the pantry with the possibility that the air would get to it and it could go stale? So if two bowls are good, I'm going to be real smart and I'm going to eat the whole bag in one sitting. And afterwards, when my belly starts grumbling and I have to go take some Tums because I put too much popcorn in my belly, I realize I have given in to the temptation of overindulging. But that one's easy. That one's easy to share publicly. Can I tell you that the power of sin is real regardless of what your status, of what your spiritual pedigree or of what you're calling. Because again, there's only but three tools that the enemy has. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And for me, if I'm really getting real about it, I have put safeguards and boundaries in place and accountability processes in place to take care of those first two. But I'll tell you what really can trip me up is the pride of life. And not just any kind of pride, but spiritual pride particularly. Spiritual pride manifests itself in being holier than thou. Having your act all together being squared away and tucking it in, having the ability to have the last say. You see, for over 20 years now, people have sought me out because of my calling and my profession to ask me advice or to weigh in on spiritual concerns or life matters. And so over time, that kind of allurement will cause a person to begin to believe the press about themselves that they have answers. People seek out their advice. And this spiritual pride can manifest itself in forms of cynicism, of condensation, condemnation, condescending ways about your thinking. See, I'm not a good advice giver. I found that out about myself because the, the, the result of the advice that I give causes me to be cynical when someone doesn't take my advice the way I give it. You see, someone comes to me and they bring me all the cards in their hand 
And I say, well, let me see the cards in your hand. And I look at the cards in their hand, and I say, well, I would play this one first, and then these two need to go next. And whatever you do, play this one last because it's going to give you the best possibility of winning in life. And I smile. I pat them on the back. I say, I'll see you next Tuesday. I walk away feeling so good that I poured out all this wisdom to them. And this just hasn't happened once. This happens time and again. You've been there too. They come back next Tuesday and you say, so how'd the card game go? Did you play them exactly how I said? They're like, well, I played the last one first. The other two I haven't played yet. And that one you said to play first, I played it last. And I say, well, how'd that turn out for you? My life is miserable. And I say, well, see there, I... Oh, you've been there too, huh? Okay. So I'm not alone. So we have these things in our lives that continue to trip us up. And just because we put a safeguard in this area, just because we create a discipline, we don't necessarily have the guarantee that we're not going to be tripped up tomorrow with a similar or related problem. And the apostle said this. He said, I'm a wretched man, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ who gives me the victory. Jesus illustrates this in parable form. You know what a parable is? A parable is like a time-release capsule. The pharmaceutical companies have made a mint on finding out a way to take a capsule of medicine and make it to where it releases in stages throughout your body so that you only have to take one for the entire day and it extends its time and you get the release of the medicine when you need it the most. That's what a parable is. It is like a time-release capsule. When you really need it the most, all of a sudden the revelation comes and you get it. Jesus gave us parables because... He knew that they couldn't necessarily receive it in the moment, but it was a piece of good medicine that they needed. And when the time was right, they were going to get it. So let's read this parable. Luke 5, verses 33 through 39. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Now we're talking about spiritual disciplines. So this crowd of people came up to Jesus and they said, hey, if you want to look at spiritual disciplines, if you want to look at people that really achieve this well, then look at John's disciples. This is John the Baptist. Look at John's disciples. They fast and they pray. They have spiritual disciplines which are observable, okay, and respectable. What is it that you observe and respect about other people who have disciplines in their lives? Because it is something to admire, when you see a person who is disciplined. How many like to watch football, baseball, basketball? We, we like sports in America, don't we? We have a certain level of expectation when we turn on the television screen and we watch a collegiate or a professional athlete taking the field or the court. We have a certain level of expectation that they have disciplined themselves not in the prior week to eat 15 Twinkies a day, four cans of of soda, and as much pizza as they want all throughout the week, and get out there 150 pounds over their ideal weight and expect that they're going to compete at a high level. We have an admiration for discipline in this country. Amen. We have a respect for people who have disciplined themselves to do the craft or to execute the thing which they've been called to do. And so... 
This observation was made, and the people came to Jesus and said, John's disciples, they're worthy of some respect. And the Pharisees' disciples, the same. They pray, they fast, and they don't just do it sometimes, Jesus. They do it often. But we've observed something about your disciples. They don't do it. Be very careful. Be very careful. When you measure your spiritual life against what it looks like someone else is doing, just because you went to a conference and they told you that this is how they did it doesn't mean that's how you are called to do it, whether that's church or business, anything. Jesus answered and said, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? Now, he's talking about himself. He's talking in a parable form about what his purpose is. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, then they'll fast. Jesus is saying, right now these disciplines are not needed for them because I'm here, but the day will come when I'm not here physically in the flesh with them, and they're going to need to do these disciplines. He told them this parable. Now, here's the parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch the old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. So he takes a very relatable, common, everyday example of sewing. And he talks to them about patching a garment. And they say, okay, I can understand that. Yeah, you don't do it in such a way that the patch is going to pull away. You want to do it in such a way that the patch stays. But then he took it a step further. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and the wine will run out of the wineskins and it will be ruined. Both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. Why? Because if you take a, a new wineskin, which is a piece of leather, is like a pouch that they made, and you would put in new wine, the wine over time would ferment and it would expand. And that new skin would then just burst. But if you take an old wine skin, you put in that wine, it's already had the contraction. You don't fill it up all the way full. It can hold and house that fermentation process. And they understood this and they said, yeah, that makes sense. He says, no, new wine must be poured into new wine skin. So he's given them this, this illustration. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new for they say the old is better. Now this is where Jesus completely flips the script and turns their minds upside down. He says, no one, having tasted old wine, will be allured to the new wine. They'll say the old is better. And what he's talking about here, because they're talking about the rule keepers and the Pharisees, the disciplined people, hang with me. They're talking about all these disciplines, which came from the old law. Jesus is talking about this radical new gospel of freedom. And he's saying it like this. When people have experienced the old way of doing things, to do it a different way is uncomfortable. The new wine is like a bitterness. It's like a sour. It's like, oh, I don't know if I want that. I would rather stay with the way things are because I'm familiar with that. I don't know if I want to venture out there and do something new because after all, what if I don't like the new way? And what Jesus is referring to here is mixing the old covenant with the new covenant. It's mixing law with grace. It's saying, yeah, you're free in Christ, but make sure you keep all the rules and God will be happy with you. And we have, for two 
thousand years had this tug of war in the church world of how much law do we keep with giving people grace? How much grace do we extend but have still the check back to make sure that they're keeping the rules? And the answer I'll tell you is, it's none of your business. You're not the rule keeper. He is the great rule keeper. He, God keeps good records. I mean, really good. Like, you didn't get away with that thing that happened 10 years ago that you've not confessed or put out there before God. He keeps good records. That's why we bring it all before the Lord. I had, I had this experience yesterday. I went into the pet store to get some, some dog food. I'm not really a big pet person, but the kids love this dog, and so it's part of our family, so we got to feed the thing. So I went in, and I was buying the dog food, you know, begrudgingly, like $65 later buying the dog food that I'm going to step in in the backyard in about two weeks. And I had this experience as I'm standing there, not really being a pet person. I walk past, and there's this dog standing in the aisle, well-behaved and, and just doing the right thing. And I noticed that the dog was on a leash because it had to be, apparently it was in a store, but the leash had a lot of slack in it. And this dog was just being really good. And I came around the aisle, I had the dog food in my cart and I hear this other dog, yip, 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 all the way. And you know, this was a little dog and I just kind of went like this, like I wanted to get away from that dog. I didn't know if that dog was going to bite me. And this owner had this dog on a leash and the leash was tight as this. And that dog is at the end of his rope, and the owner is pulling him back and goes up to the lady working there and says, when does the next obedience school class start? I kid you not. And she said, well, I just graduated one today. The next one starts in two weeks. And I wanted to tell that guy, there's a pet smart down the road. You better go take your dog and see if they start one tomorrow. Because this dog's at the end of its leash. And I got to thinking about this mixture of law and grace. I got to thinking about the fact that when we come to Christ, our leash is so tight. We are resisting the laws of God. We are doing everything we can to get outside of that realm. We want to do it our own way. We're getting right to the end of our limit. But when grace comes, the freedom then comes and the rope gets slack. Both Animals were dogs. They weren't the same breed, but they were both dogs. You and I don't look alike, but we're human. We have the same kind of urges, the same kind of desires. We're tempted with the same types of temptations. And yet, when introduced with the parable that Jesus gave, When grace comes, then freedom is granted and slack is provided in the rope. Both dogs were still tethered to their master. One was comfortable, the other was very uncomfortable. I don't know about you, I never want to get to a place in my life where I am so outside of the purview of God that I have no tether to the master. I want to still be tethered to the master but I want to have enough slack. I want to have enough freedom. I want to have enough liberty that I can make some choices on my own. If I want to walk down the aisle, I want to start walking down the aisle. But if the slack goes away and the rope gets tight, it is a reminder to me, check yourself. Check yourself. You're tethered to the master. 
That's why when Paul said, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ our Lord gives us the victory. You see, it's not enough just to come to Jesus and say, I want you to be my Savior. There's been plenty of people that have said to Jesus, I want you to be my Savior because they've heard a holiness or hell gospel and they're afraid of fire and brimstone and they say, you know what? If I just do like the preacher said, I can buy me some fire insurance today. I can stay out of hell and I'll give Jesus that prayer. Jesus wants a whole lot more than that prayer. He wants your heart. And when you come to him with a yielded surrender, to pray the prayer, don't stop, that's important. But take it the next step to say, no longer is he just my savior, he's my Lord. And when he's my Lord, I'm gonna enjoy the slack and the freedom of this grace, but as soon as it gets tight, because I'm getting at the boundary, I'm getting to a place where I'm about to hurt myself, then I notice the tug and I feel the tension And I come back to a place of relax in the room. We really don't have to agonize so much about long grace. The gospel gives us freedom to choose. The gospel is Jesus' way of saying, you're accepted, you're beloved, you are mine. But I love you so much that I put some boundaries and guidelines around you that you might have life and have it more abundant. And that's why disciplines are important. That's why habits really mean something. There's a book called The Power of Habits. And in this book, the author talks about what he calls a keystone habit. A keystone habit is one that if you will do this every single day, then it creates that first little win and that positive momentum that'll keep your entire day rolling. And now for many people, and this is for me included, a keystone habit every single day is something as simple as flossing your teeth. Hear me, flossing your teeth. Because honestly, I don't like to floss my teeth. I don't like to take the time in my day to get that dental floss out and to floss my teeth. But I know that every six months, I'm going to be sitting in the chair of my dentist and the hygienist is gonna ask me a question. Have you been flossing? And I like how she says it regularly. Not daily, because I couldn't pass that test. But regularly, I say, yes, I've been flossing regularly. What do you define as regular? Like once a month? I could meddle right here about church attendance. I think I will. Um, it's my sermon. I'll preach it how I want to. You, just, you can just tune me out for a minute. But you know that seven years ago, the regular attenders to local church communities in America was two times a month. Today, in the last six months, that same survey says that you are considered a regular attender if you attend one time a month, 12 times a year, and two of those happen to be the biggest holidays. It's easy to go Easter and Christmas. So just 10 other times, and you're considered a regular attendance, regular attender. 
Now, thank God we have streaming and things like that, that that you can see it when you're not here. And yes, the pastor still prays for rain on like Memorial Day weekend and things like that. So people can't go. No, I don't really do that. But what is regular? Well, there's, there's no status and measure that you have to do certain things, but a keystone habit keeps you in a place of momentum. So flossing is one of those. And it creates a better study time for me in the morning. It seems like my relationships work out better throughout the day. It seems like I get on this little positive momentum when I do a keystone habit. So I want to ask you a question. What do you want most? What do you want most? This should be easy. I want to lose 30 pounds by February of 2019. I want to be married in the future. I want to get that promotion that I've always dreamed of. I want to become a volunteer in an area that I can serve my local church in the next six months. What do you want most? And then the next question is this. What habit needs to be changed or created in order to achieve what you want most. Because a goal without a plan is nothing more than a dream. And some of us have been dreaming for so long that we do not create the habits that would propel us forward. What one discipline does your life need right now that will help you ultimately get what it is that you want the most. Now you don't have the ability to do that every day in and day out, but thank God, Jesus Christ gives you the strength to do it every day in and every day out. Well, we thank you for listening in today and we hope that this message has encouraged and impacted you in some way. If it did, I want to encourage you to get involved with NFC in some way. There are a few ways you can do so. First, you can subscribe to our podcast. We upload a message each and every week. And when you subscribe, our content will automatically show up in your feed. You can also help us to continue to spread the message of Jesus around the world by your giving. You can do so at newfc.org giving. We want to continue to make an impact for Jesus every day, and your support is vital to our mission, and we thank you for that. Lastly, make sure you check us out on Facebook and Instagram at newfc.church, and go check out our YouTube channel. Stay up to date with us, get daily encouragement, all from our online platforms. Well, that is all for today, and we will see you next week right here on the New Freedom Podcast.